I was invited tonight to talk on the topic of the fourth Brahma Vihara, um, the one you haven't covered, not necessarily a fourth in any in that order, of Mudita. And I want to begin with a poem from Billy Collins, some excerpts from it, called Aimless Love. This morning as I walked along the lake shore, I fell in love with a wren, and later in the day with a mouse. The cat had dropped under the dining room table. In the shadows of an autumn evening, I fell for a seamstress, still at her machine in the tailor's window, and later for a bowl of broth, steam rising like smoke from a naval battle. This is the best kind of love, I thought. No waiting, no huffiness or rancor, just a twinge every now and then for the wren who had built her nest on a low branch overhanging the water and for the dead mouse still dressed in its light brown suit. But my heart is always propped up in a field on its tripod, ready for the next arrow. After I carried the mouse by the tail to a pile of leaves in the woods, I found myself standing at the bathroom sink, gazing down affectionately at the soap. So patient and soluble, so at home in its pale green soap dish. I could feel myself falling again as I felt its turning in my wet hands and caught the scent of lavender and stone. I wanted to start with that because this quality of mudita is so nearby, so uh, available, and you have all been touching it for, for moments, for periods of time. And this evening I want to talk about it, and I'm going to use the word mudita though I'll give you some definitions or some translations, but I'm going to use that word as an invitation for you to explore with me what this word means to you. How do you know this word, this experience, this divine abode of the heart? Mudita can be translated as gladness, quality of being pleased, to be satisfied. It has the root in it, the muda in it is to be tender, tender of heart. And as you've walked around and I've watched, you know, you're standing and looking at a flower, or a lizard, or the sky, or looking across the valley just to the other side in all the different shades of green. You may have found this very simple quality. It certainly looks like many of you 
feel this, this just being pleased, just being satisfied with what's right here. A sense of this is enough. I have all that I need in this moment. I remember quite some years ago, my first sense that this was possible on retreat. I was having, my, my early retreats were very ragged, I will say. They were very hard for me. I had a lot of pain, emotional, physical. And I remember there was this one woman who stood in the sit after lunch. And it was right over there in that area. And she stood and she was wrapped in sort of a white blanket that would drape. And the sun would hit her and her face had this smile on it. And I remember being so touched by the possibility to stand there and to really, I could see it was enough for her. And not only enough, but she was pleased. In order to have this experience, we have to connect with what's happening. And all this time that you've been here, many, many weeks. This practice of mindfulness, this practice of paying attention moment after moment, coming in closer and closer contact with the experience. This connecting sets us up. It opens the possibility for our hearts to be touched, for our hearts to be tender and available. A sense of gladness can arise from the tender heart. In that poem, he mentioned that quality of his heart being set up on a tripod. That sense of being available. When we start, you might remember back eons ago when you started with your walking meditation and you might have had um, some responses to your walking meditation, for instance. It could be your yogi job, it could be whatever was happening. But, but for your walking, perhaps you had um, some desire, greed come up. You wanted a particular walking spot. Or perhaps an aversion came up. You didn't want to walk. And these are the overlays, this kind of thing that come between us and connecting and the tenderness of our heart. And as you spend time dropping these desires and aversions, these kalesas that block the the heart, you might have found over and over again that there were these moments where the greed and the aversion weren't there. You might have also found, 
during this time as we do, that there is this quality of being pleased, of being glad, is blocked by, particularly by the qualities of envy and jealousy and comparing mind. But first, envy and jealousy, if somebody had a better walking spot than you, or somebody even worse had your walking spot. Do you remember that? And in that moment, no walking spot will, be, will do. There is no other. But then, perhaps there was a moment where you realized, actually, any walking spot will do. I'm not saying you don't have preferences. Of course, we all have preferences. But that possibility... And the comparing mind takes us so far away from this possibility. You remember when Gil held up the flowers. The flower was the flower. It was perfect. It was enough. And then it was a small flower. And then something else was a small flower. And the being pleased with it just as it is gets lost in this comparison of one thing for another, one walking spot for another, one flower for another. No longer enough. The, a lot of this comes from some idea that there's a limited pie, that there's only so much happiness or contentment to go around. And yet, what we find is that the more happiness and more contentment there is, the more there is to go around. Have you noticed that? That when you go and come in contact, you probably had it, you know, you walk and somebody's looking at the moon, the moon that we've never seen so much moon in March here. So you're looking at the moon and you walk out and somebody's looking at the moon and it's like, the more there's is looking more people there are looking at the moon the more happiness there is the moon didn't get used up by the first person sometimes we might be working directly with these qualities the greed or the aversion or um, some emotional aspect or psychological aspect of our history, our habits and patterns that keeps us from being able to contact this quality of mudita in our hearts. And this can be really helpful, you know, perhaps you, like me, had a brother that, or a sister, in my case it was a brother who seemed like he always got the good deal. So I sort of felt like I didn't. So I've had to spend a lot of time realizing that I wasn't in competition with somebody else for the good thing, whatever it was. And this is part of our practice, to notice again and again what comes up between us and the open, tender heart. 
And when we do that, nothing has gone wrong. When these qualities, when the envy, the jealousy, the wanting this, nothing has gone wrong. It's not a problem. We get to see clearly. And then we begin to understand and we see that we don't need that anymore. And as we contact this quality, those moments when we are free, and they're uh, free of the envy and the jealousy and the comparing mind, and there is that sense of mudita. It's so important to let that be felt. There can be a tendency sometimes that we get so involved in the those other processes of seeing what's emotionally challenging to seeing our greed, seeing our aversion, that when those things part and we have those moments that are so simple, it's like, isn't something supposed to be happening? Shouldn't I do something now? What do I... It's so important to just let yourself feel that quality of mind and heart that is allowing itself to be touched, to feel and know it in your body. I know some of you have found, especially in this last period of time, is that unraveling process has occurred, that you've had more and more moments of ease and this quality of mudita. You may not have recognized it in, because it's not necessarily loud, but you certainly know something was going, something was wholesome, something was going in the right direction. It's important that we recognize it because sometimes some of us, you know, it's like, well, where's the dukkha now? You know, aren't I supposed to be working on my dukkha? And we get a little caught up with that, but that's not where we're headed in our practice. We're headed to these qualities of the heart of happiness and openness and tenderness. To be free of that wanting mind and find what's below it. Here's a poem, the last part of a poem from Holly Hughes. But the mind always wants more than it has. One more bright day of sun, one more clear night in bed with the moon, one more hour to get the words right, one more chance for the heart in hiding to emerge from its thicket in dried grasses. As if this quiet day with its tentative light weren't enough. As if joy weren't strewn all around. There's this receptive quality that is so key. 
to allow ourselves to touch and receive. This element of tenderness of the heart, this may sound familiar to you, it's very, this tender heart is very much the same tender heart that is touched by compassion. In fact, I think the quality of compassion and the quality of mudita are inexorably bound together. Because when the heart is open and tender, it is available for all the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And they come and they go. There's a little thing from uh, a, The Week magazine in 2012. And I want to read this to you because I feel like it speaks to this quality of the compassion and the mudita being tied up together. Veterans staged an eat-in at an Iraqi restaurant in Lowell, Massachusetts to show support for its immigrant owners after their place was vandalized. Around 50 veterans of World War II, Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, and Iraq ate at the restaurant one evening last week in solidarity with the Al-Zabadi family who immigrated to the U.S. in 2010. Vietnam vet Patrick Scanyon coordinated the response to let the family know they were welcome in the community. There is no more fear in my heart because there are such nice people behind us, said owner Leila Al-Sahdi. When I read that, I can feel I am so touched by both that they, that somebody needed to stage an Eden because there was fear, and that incredible offering of the, that capacity that the human heart has, and that people move out, the compassion moves into action. And then I notice I feel such joy that people do this, that people allow themselves to be touched and moved. This quality of the compassion, of being touched there, the quality of the mudita is the quality, almost a sense of awe, of wow. Amazing how this unfolds. Another word that sometimes is used is the suchness, the poignancy of things. When we look at a flower and we have that feeling, part of what we're being touched by 
is its impermanent nature, that it will come and it will go. If it was always there, it wouldn't touch us in the same way. This quality of mudita is not separate from the impermanence, from the coming, the going, the passing of time. The smile, as Aaron mentioned the other day, the smile on the Buddha Rupa. The joy that gives to equanimity, the mild serenity that softens its stern appearance. It is the divine smile on the face of the enlightened one. A smile that persists in spite of his deep knowledge of the world's suffering. A smile that gives solace and hope fearlessness and confidence. Wide open are the doors of deliverance. This it says to us. This quality is held, as you can feel, in this vast lap of equanimity. Really helpful. Without the equanimity, then we can't hold the compassion as well. And we have to be able to hold it all. I had an experience last fall. I was in Bhutan. I was um, there with a group of people. And we were up staying overnight in a very high ridge. And up above, there was an even higher ridge. And I was told that it was a wonderful, wonderful view from up there. So early in the morning, before light, it was still dark, and I went out by headlamp, and I hiked up to this high point. And I got up there, and I, and I had a, you know, like, oh, this is going to be great. This will be really fun. I'm going to have a great view kind of out to have my great view. And I got up there and um, it was still, the light was low still and I was wandering around up there. And right at the very top, surrounded by just thousands of prayer flags, I found there was a body. It was a sky burial of a young boy. And I was completely startled. I must say, and I uh, was sort of brought to my knees. And I sensed the boy and his family and all the boys that I'd seen and all the families. And my heart went out wide in this compassion for all of us, for all the families all those that pass. And then the sun rose. It came over a distant mountain and it reflected off the tops of the clouds that were filling the valley below me and the white-rimmed mountains and a big cirque around. 
and the joy that I felt was as immeasurable and boundless as the compassion. And I could really feel, and especially in reflecting later, that this joy was completely connected. Without the boy and my connection, I would have just simply had a nice view and a nice sunrise. But it was so much more. It contained everything. It was the mudita that left nothing out. My heart was free and open and tender. And this is the joy of seeing clearly. Of turning towards the truth and being willing to let it all in, just as you had been doing. In the Teragata, which is the a collection of poems from the time of the Buddha. There's a poem about Sariputta teaching the Dharma. And as in the last part of that poem, he said, the poet says about Sariputta, as he is teaching, they listen to the sweet honey of his voice, a sound that is most delightful pleasant to hear and lovely, with uplifted minds, the noble ones all joyfully lend him their ear, joyfully attuning to the truth. You know that feeling when you hear the truth, when you know the truth in yourself, So many times in this time of practice, you might start by seeing something that is so difficult, that is so hard. And then you see so clearly the clarity brings a joy with it. To see and know the truth. Recently, I had the experience of having an insight about my own idea of living my life that, that I had had to struggle to get the support that I needed, that it hadn't been there for me as a child. And I had this story, and, I, and then I understood that this was the story that I had carried and that I had some choice around it. And... Does it look like we don't have support? You know, does that story match what's actually true? And I had such joy in realizing we are so supported in so many ways, in all the ways we need to be to be here, to practice the Dhamma, to joyfully turn our ear 
when we have an insight and an understanding, we realize that we can make choices, that we can turn our attention in a way that supports us, that allows us to see more clearly, to understand truth, and to point our tender hearts towards happiness. Choosing the wholesome. This is the wise effort that the Buddha suggested. So even when we are in the midst of something quite difficult, have you noticed that you can sometimes, right in the middle of that, feel a certain joy because there's a possibility of seeing clearly. I think it was Ajahn Chah that said, the suffer, there is suffering that leads to more suffering and there is suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, what a joy that is. What mudita we can have as we touch that. On a different on a retreat that I did at the Forest Refuge quite a few years ago. I call it my dukkha retreat. It was many weeks of dukkha. And I came to the end of the retreat and I was talking um, to my teacher, Guy, many of you know. And... um, He hadn't been there through the whole of it. I was talking to him at the end. And he said to me, he said to me, I have great mudita for your dukkha. I said, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) And it was only later that I understood what he was saying to me. He could see that this was the suffering that led to the end of suffering. Because the idea isn't to get stuck in the suffering, is it? I like the Dalai Lama saying, my religion is happiness. That's the direction we're going. The Buddha, in advising his son, Rahula, and there's wonderful suttas of instructions to Rahula, I think everything we all need to know, he taught to his 13-year-old or 14-year-old son. And at one point he tells, suggests to Rahula, he says, Rahula, develop meditation on mudita. For when you develop meditation on mudita, any displeasure will be abandoned. Wow, doesn't that sound nice? Any displeasure will be abandoned. As an antidote, you can feel that when the quality of mudita is present, there is no displeasure. It's all all pleasing.
And it's important that we keep remembering and pointing ourselves to this happiness so that we don't get caught in old patterns that we may have, that somehow joy is not okay or frivolous or not where the juice is or not real or not practice or any ideas we might have subtly or overtly that it's somehow not to be trusted. Yes, it is impermanent. Yes, it comes and goes. But as it comes and goes and as this religion of happiness unfolds, it does become more of a familiar quality. And we don't have to latch on to it because we can trust it will come back. It is there. I love William Blake's short poem, part of a poem. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. It comes and it goes, but it comes again. The desire for joy and happiness is a wholesome desire. We don't need to grab a hold of it or chase it after it. But it's okay. That's why we're here, right? We want freedom from suffering. This is wholesome. And these other qualities of equanimity and the compassion I mentioned help this, this isn't a quality of joy that's Pollyanna-ish, that is avoiding the reality of the world. It's containing all of that. It's not closing our eyes or marginalizing. Rather, it is knowing that we can be happy even in the midst of all this complexity. Isn't that amazing? It's a very complex world, but we can be happy in the midst of it all. This is the possibility that you have touched here, that you know. Maybe you don't remember it in every moment. I know I don't, but it's good to know. The Buddha says, if it were impossible to cultivate the good, I would not tell you to do so. Thank you, Buddha. Sometimes our mudita for ourselves or for someone else may be... Um, come from an understanding of the unfolding of things. That sometimes good, you you may have felt this, like you see somebody in a very difficult situation and they're making a difficult decision. 
you might have done this here yourself. And you see in yourself making a difficult decision that is not particularly pleasant at the moment. But even so, there might be this quality of mudita because you can see in yourself or someone else that this good deed, this movement towards the wholesome will have fruits further on. And so even though you don't yet see the fruits, you can still have this quality of mudita because you can see the wholesome seeds that are being planted in that moment. Sometimes this helps us through those difficult times. And when we do the mudita phrases, just as when we do the metta or compassion phrases, we're training ourselves. We're becoming vessels of gladness. It's out of the suttas. It's about becoming a vessel of gladness such that we overflow and can be available. I can't help, I can't talk about Mudita without bringing in um, James and his Awakening Joy class that many of you have been or may be aware of. If you're not, I encourage you. And the most amazing thing about the Awakening Joy class or work that James has done is it is such a natural outgrowth of who he is. He was, he was the embodiment of Awakening Joy long before he wrote that book and created that class. And I find that so beautiful to have have watched him over these years continually pointing himself very, very clearly in that direction, never hesitating and wanting to share it with others. This quality of mudita, as it, in its fullest quality, you probably have heard it in here, this unselfishness, Unselfish joy, amudita, has a permeability to it. And this is really, um, this starts to enter into its boundless quality. When the I and you and the us and them starts to dissolve, then the mudita is not of me for you or even for the flower or feeling it's all in this flow of connection the joy out there and the joy in here and in each one of us is not separate and the more those boundaries of separateness dissolve the more joy becomes available touching. Can you imagine if you had no separation between you and all the joy in the world? The Buddha uses the terms abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. 
And he uses that, those words for each of the Brahma Viharas, for each of these divine abodes. The boundless quality. This mind state, this heart quality, has a lightness to it. I'm sure you can feel that. An uplifted quality. And it dwells completely in the present moment. You notice as soon as you wish for some future happiness, some other far-off thing, it's not there anymore. I can always feel it, you watching a sunrise, and the sunrise is just so... mm. And then the thought comes in, I should make sure I'm standing out here for this sunrise every day, or this sunset. Where'd it go? It is... Oh, yeah. Back here, back here. Ah, now I see it. Completely content with what is here without having to go out and find something else. This is a Vajra song, Free and Easy from... Venerable Lama Gundan Rinpoche. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but it's already present in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do. Whatever arises in the mind has no importance at all because it has no reality whatsoever. Don't become attached to it. Don't identify with it and pass judgment upon it. Let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves, without changing or manipulating anything, and everything vanishes and reappears magically without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, although it does not exist It has always been there and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax, this grasping space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. So make use of this spaciousness spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further. Don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great elephant who is already quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want. Everything happens by itself. Everything is as it is and complete and offering itself in some way. And this quality I mentioned before, the contagious quality of it. It's like we're, we're built for this. 
we're designed. You've probably heard there's like these studies about oxytocin that when one person is happy, the oxytocin jumps to the other. In fact, they created a nasal spray of oxytocin. <laughs> you've, got, you, you're, you're, you've got your nasal spray going strong. So. Um, but it jumps from one person to another. And they can just see the oxytocin in the other person going up when coming into contact with somebody else that's happy. They did little experiments that giving somebody who was in an argument with someone, giving one person this spray, everything changed. All of a sudden, the other person like, couldn't be so angry. They didn't even get the spray, but they got bumped. We can offer this to our set, each other, receive it from each other. It's wonderful. There is the possibility, though, that with all this joy, we can enter into a, a place of exuberance. And this quality of exuberance I think it's so easy to recognize because it comes back small and it becomes about me, about my happiness. I'm getting it. I'm having a great time. And it's unsustainable. Have you ever noticed that when you start getting that, it's like it doesn't, it, it, it exhausts itself. But when it stays open, it has this limitless quality. From Mary Oliver. My work is loving the world. Here are the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here are the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here are the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. There is also this quality that of gratitude that comes in for many of us and is part of this mudita. Many of you have reported at various times in interviews this, like, wow, this is so amazing. And the quality of mudita right there. You can practice it. It's actually, it's a practice. And it's so important to continue to recognize that it's not this big explosions. It's like the, the matrix is the word that Natasha Jackson uses, and I love this. She says to regard Mudita as being relevant only on certain 
relatively rare occasions when our friends and acquaintances come into a bonanza of some kind is to fragment it and render it trivial, thereby missing the essential matrix. Mm-hmm. Keep coming back to the simplicity of what is here. Rumi says, keep on knocking till the joy inside opens a window looking to see who's there. I want to end with, uh, some of you are familiar um, with uh, wonderful Rinpoche, Minger Rinpoche, who walked out of his worldwide teaching commitments and... uh, as a planned event, sort of. But he um, went off on retreat as a wandering yogi in the Himalayas. And he talked about before he went how this, um, this tradition of the yogi in the mountains of Milarepa and well, many, many others... Um, had so attracted him ever since he was very young. And he's, he's done long retreat before. This, is, this was nothing new. But to do this as a just wandering yogi was something he had always wanted to do. And so he headed out in the middle of the night and left without anything and went off. And in January of this year, um, uh, somebody who had served him at one time, recognized him and begged to be allowed to come with him. And he, after a while, did let them join him. And then he sent back a letter with this person. And he's been gone over two years. And this is what he says, or piece of what he says. I myself am wandering without any fixed location, staying in isolated mountain hermitage and other such places. I have experienced feelings of happiness and suffering, rising and falling like the waves on the surface of the ocean. At times, food and clothing have been hard to come by, and I have felt cold, hungry, and thirsty. While I've experienced both happiness and suffering, the most important thing is that a deep and heartfelt sense of certainty has arisen in the depths of my being, such that no matter what happens, I know that the true nature of these experiences, their very essence, is that of timeless awareness and vast compassion. Great love and compassion are also innate qualities of our being. All the thoughts, destructive emotions, and suffering we encounter are, in essence, completely permeated by vast compassion. As a sign of this, we naturally wish to enjoy happiness and to be free of suffering. While all beings have great wisdom and compassion, this is not always apparent. This is simply because they have not recognized what they already have. Thus, aside from merely recognizing our own true nature, there isn't the slightest thing to meditate on. Recognizing the importance of this, I have passed my days feeling joyful and content, wandering through the mountains and valleys and staying here and there. From my heart, I sincerely encourage all of you to practice diligently in this manner as well.
So that's it for a moment. I have passed my days feeling joyful and content, wandering through the mountains and valleys and staying here and there. From my heart, I sincerely encourage all of you to practice diligently in this manner as well. Thank you for listening and may you practice in this way. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.